Okay, so we've been in a series called Rhythms of Grace. I think this is week five or six um, that coincides with the seven-week journey. And our big scripture for the Rhythms of Grace series has been Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, out of the message translation. So as we get started today, I'll just kind of read that first, so that way we can kind of go back to the scripture that's been grounding our series this whole summer. It will be on the screen, I believe, and I will read it out. Again, this is the message translation, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So that's the verse that's been guiding our series over the past few weeks. Throughout this series, we've covered what it looks like to take a real rest. We've talked about community. We've talked about humility. We've talked about dealing with life's difficulties. And then last week, Chris talked about the treasure that we have and we are able to work with Jesus and that that work is to build each other up in love. So that's kind of where we've been coming from, really having grace for yourself, understanding how Jesus gives us that grace, how we can build each other up in community and humility and love. As we continue on today, we're going to shift the focus a little bit to talking about grace for other people. And we've talked a lot about God's grace that he gives to us, and, and last week Chris kind of started us on this transition talking about loving others and building each other up in love. But today, I wanted to focus on having grace for a specific group of people. I don't really want to spend time, at least today, talking about having grace for people we love, for people we like, for people we get along with, because that's pretty easy. We're pretty good at that. We're really good at forgiving the leader of a political party we agree with. We're good at that. Showing them grace. Oh, it was a tough circumstance. They didn't really mean it. We're really good at forgiving our favorite sports players when they do something wrong. We're really good at showing grace to family members. Maybe not always, but most of the time. My best example for that is I'm a teacher. And sometimes when you call home because a kid has done something, the parent cannot believe it. That wasn't my kid. My kid would never do such a thing. And you're able to provide some proof, and they act surprised, right? So we're really good at giving grace to people we care about, to people we know. But in that same situation, the parent comes very upset about what somebody else's kid did, right? We get very upset at what the leader of another political party did. We get very upset at what the opposing team's best player did. So I really want to talk about grace for people we don't really like. But more specifically, I want to, I want to get a little deep with it today. I want to talk about grace for people that we hate, for grace for people that we hate. I think we're in this part of society where we are incredibly divided. I think that's probably the only thing that we could agree on, is that we don't agree, right? I think you could ask any group, and they would say, I don't agree with another group. Divisiveness is about the only thing that brings us together these days, at least it seems, as a society, and I think even in the church a little bit. But there's a problem we allow divisiveness and hate and fear to guide us, it creates chaos. I am a social studies teacher, so we're going to talk about the French Revolution for a little bit. 
but I probably won't get too far into the weeds with you guys. But I think it's a good example, and I think it's a kind of an extreme example, but I think it kind of provides what happens when a society continues to go down this path. So the French Revolution, right? Quick backstory. This is not going to be 100% accurate, so don't fact check me. I'm trying to tell this to, you know, it's not, there's no test. The French Revolution occurs in the late 1700s, right, after the American Revolution. And the French were very involved in helping the colonists achieve independence from Great Britain. So what happens is the French people, the peasants and also the middle class, kind of start looking around and they kind of think, our system's a little bit messed up too. At the time they had a feudal system with a king and lords. And the people, the majority of people, were not in positions of power. They were oppressed Uh, Peasants didn't even own the land that they were farming and living on. The Lord would just let them keep a little bit of the food that they did all the work to acquire. It's a system that was tyrannical, that was oppressive. So the people in the middle class decide that they're going to fight back, right? There's a just cause. There's a reason why they don't like this system. And it starts, and the lords and the king kind of like, well, we should probably work with these people. You know, there are a lot of them. They kind of you know, protect us and get us all our food, and they're kind of important. So let's try to work together. That doesn't work. There's some compromise and solutions, but it always breaks down. It's not followed through with fidelity. The people begin getting more and more upset. They begin to hate their rulers, the upper classes, who aren't listening to them, aren't honoring them, aren't giving them rights. That leads to a period of time that might be the most famous part of the French Revolution, which is called the Reign of Terror. And during this time, probably the most famous person in the French Revolution is Marie Antoinette. She's the Queen of, Fran- queen of France at the time, and she is killed uh, by the guillotine. She's executed. During the Reign of Terror, 10 months, 17,000 people were executed, and approximately 10,000 people died in prison without a trial. In 10 months' span. This wasn't the feudal lords and the king doing this. This was the people. The people had become exactly what they hated. The people who had had a just cause became driven by hate and fear and ended up killing 27,000 people, either through execution or they died in prison without a trial. The French people became exactly what they hated. They hated tyranny, they hated oppression, they hated not having people have rights, but they became that because that was their guiding force. So, who do we hate? Who do you hate? And when I'm asking that question, this isn't where I make it lighter. Like, the person who cuts you off in traffic, don't you hate that guy? Or the person who posts pictures of their food on Facebook, don't you just hate that? Yeah, that's easy to talk about, but I want us to really reflect today. Who do you really hate? Because we all have some sort of bias. We all have some sort of group that we hate. I have mine, and I'll share a little bit about that in a minute. Is it a political party? Is it a group of people whose lifestyle looks different than yours? Is it a group of people with different backgrounds? I think, unfortunately, we can all find a group that we strongly disagree with and would probably even say hate. And a lot of us have reasons for doing that, some justified. The French people had a just cause in overturning oppression and tyranny. 
But when we give in to that and let that drive us, things like the reign of terror happen. So I want us to be really reflective today and not really cop out and use our excuses and say I'm justified to dislike these people, but have an open mind as we talk about it today. And I'll start with a personal example for me um, that I've really been dealing with and, and thinking about a lot lately. And uh, I really hate Pharisees, which at first makes me sound super biblical, right? Because that's who Jesus was always disagreeing with. But I've become a Pharisee against Pharisees by allowing my anger and frustration and hatred to take over. And here's what I mean by that. So when I say the word Pharisee, what am I talking about? Because the Pharisees in the Bible don't really exist, right? So who am I considering to be a modern-day Pharisee? And when I'm using that word, I'm thinking about the people who are always concerned with how's everybody dressing to church? Is everybody talking the exact same way? Is our theology exactly the same? Do we all have the same lifestyle? Is everybody following the law? Which, by the way, none of us are, right? So that legalism, that focus on, is everybody doing Christianity just like me? Is everybody fitting into this box of the way that I am? That's a group of people that I've come to hate. Which is really sad because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have justifications, which are really excuses for hating this group of people, right? I've seen things that have been said. I've been pressured to say things to others or to disclude people, to exclude people from my life, to, to push out relationships because they weren't doing things exactly like me. I've become self-righteous and put other people down and been holier than thou. That's one of my excuses. I feel like in our modern world, my faith is weaponized constantly to defend certain policies, to exclude people. And I hate that. But what does that hate produce? Exactly the thing that I'm accusing these people of, right? I'm accusing these people of being self-righteous. I'm accusing these people of being exclusive and excluding people from the church and not letting people access God's love. But then what do I do? The same thing. Now I consider myself better than them. Now I don't talk to them. Now I exclude them. Now maybe I don't want them sitting next to me. When we allow hatred to drive us and we don't show other people grace... We become what we are hating against. God loves the people that we don't love. And that's sometimes hard for us to wrap our heads around. So, as we're looking at this, the question becomes, what does Jesus show us? Right? I think any time we look at the Bible, it's best to start with what Jesus shows us and tells us regarding any subject. Right? And like I said, a lot of us have justifications for why we're angry, why we hate a group of people. And we think we're justified in that. So the first example I want to talk about occurs during the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. So we're just going to look at a very short part of Scripture on this, but I'll provide a little bit of background before we do. So the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Judas, right, betrays Jesus, brings people to arrest Jesus, and now he's going to be arrested 
tried, and ultimately crucified on the cross, right? We know that. Well, a really small part of this story is when Jesus is being arrested, the disciples are angry, right? They are not happy that Jesus is being arrested. And I think that's justified, right? They probably don't want Jesus to be arrested. He's been dropping some hints, right? Jesus has that he might be about to die all these things. They're freaked out anyway. And now it's happening. So in the midst of this, we see one of the disciples try to take things into his own hands. And I'll go ahead and uh, spoiler alert here. It's going to be Peter. And <laughs> Chris likes, you know, I, I've, I felt a little bit personally attacked sometimes when Chris is up here talking about Peter because I identify with Peter so much. I feel like I'm Peter. Like, I just, you know, I tend to just say it and put it out there and think I know what I'm talking about, and oftentimes I'm wrong. But I really identify with Peter. Um, I think Peter, throughout the entire New Testament, has good intentions, right? He's trying to stick up for Jesus. He wants to love Jesus. He wants to be the best for Jesus. And so he's going to do something that is very Peter in this moment as Jesus is being arrested. This is in Luke 22. Verses 49 through 51, and I'm also going to read this in the message translation as well. When those with Jesus saw what was happening, they see him being arrested. Jesus is being arrested. When those with Jesus saw what was happening, they said, Master, shall we fight? One of them, Peter, took a, took a swing at the chief priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus said, let them be even in this. Then, touching the servant's ear, he healed him. So Peter does, I think, what a lot of us would do. Peter's mad. Peter has put his trust and faith in Jesus. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Chris told us that Peter is the first person really to call Jesus the Messiah, to say, Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. Peter's the first person, one of the first people to say that and declare that. And now he's seeing Jesus be arrested, to be tried and probably killed. He's frustrated. He's angry. So he lashes out. And Jesus says, let them be even in this. See, even in this time when Jesus was also probably startled himself, right? Jesus ultimately knew what would happen, but he had a very human experience. I believe Jesus knew, right, what had to happen. But why not let Peter cut some dude's ear off, right? It's not going to change it. Jesus is still going to go to the cross and sacrifice of us. But even in this... Jesus says, let them be, even in this. As the story continues and Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus gives us another example of this. When Jesus is on the cross, he says of the crowd, forgive them, Father. After he'd been beaten, he'd been dragged through the streets, been hung up on a tree to die, his only words to them are to forgive them. Now, we're never going to be able to love like Jesus. I wish we could, but we never will be able to. But I think we should follow what he says. I don't see condemnation in that. People justifiably, Jesus could hate, or at least allow his followers to hate. He doesn't. There's kind of one big last example that Jesus talks about in this. And... There's a book that's about this scenario that I've been reading, which was kind of actually the, uh, I guess, inspiration for talking today about this topic. I, uh, I've known for a few years now that I really struggled 
to be that what I call a Pharisee against Pharisees, right? To, uh, you know, be one of the grace guys, you know, and my favorite megachurch pastor is Judah Smith, and I'm just so loving and graceful and all this. And then meanwhile, I'm harboring this, this hatred towards, towards a group of believers. And um, I started reading this book, and I actually have it with me. No free ads, but I guess we're doing free ads. But it's called Drop the Stones. It's by a guy named Carlos Rodriguez. He's Puerto Rican. He has a, a ministry in Puerto Rico. He also pastors a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm not sure if he's doing that full-time anymore, but he pastors in North Carolina, and he also is in Puerto Rico. And he wrote this book called Drop the Stones. And it's really kind of a multiple-perspective look at a certain story in the Bible that we'll get into a little bit that deals with uh, a person caught in adultery who set out to be stoned and Jesus' interaction in that situation. And... I was reading this book because I felt like I needed to. I felt like I'd been kind of holding on to those stones and wanting them to throw them at people. And I wasn't necessarily sure that that's what I was going to talk about today. wasn't really sure. So last weekend, I wasn't here. I was on a trip in Michigan. And uh, I was listening to the podcast on Monday. And was thinking about the book and all these different things, and then it kind of all just came together for me. So that morning, as I first started driving, I hadn't listened to the podcast yet. I hadn't listened to the sermon. When I listened to the podcast later, I heard the part where Chris was like, I know Matt's watching. Please clap for him. I was not watching, but I did hear it on the podcast. Now, I will say, I didn't hear a lot of clapping, so I was, I I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was the mic or, you know, just, oh, really? Okay, good. People were chanting my name, throwing olive branches. That would be awesome. But I was, I was driving through northern Michigan, beautiful, the sunrise, and I hadn't listened to the podcast yet, but I was thinking back over what I had read in this book and kind of how I was feeling, and I kind of realized that the people that I hated, this, these Pharisees I call them, right? These people who I think are exclusionary and self-righteous and uh, not showing God's love and grace to other people. I realized that they probably have the same intention as I do, right? My intention is to protect Jesus, right? Which I can't do, but I want to protect his teachings and I want them to be accessible to everybody and I don't want them exclusive. But these people probably also think they're doing the same thing. Right, that they're protecting the teachings of Jesus, that they are making sure that Christians aren't attacked, that all these things, that we're able to express our beliefs and our faith. And that was a moment that really kind of struck me because not only is it that I was becoming hateful because I was hating people who hated, but also we probably had the same intentions. And there's a lot of commonality in that. And I think, you know, it's said a lot, but I really think we can always find something that brings us together. And I remember also thinking in that moment, just let it go. Just let go of the anger and the frustration because that's not going to have any sort of impact that I want to have anyway. That was kind of a personal, I don't know, revelation, but personal thinking I was having, right? And I still hadn't listened to the podcast of last week. But I'm listening to the podcast, and as Chris is getting towards the end, he starts talking about, that we are to work with Jesus, right? That's in that, 
Matthew 11, 28 through 30 part. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And he ended by saying we're to work with Jesus, and that work is to build each other up in love. And then I felt like this was a perfect example to kind of bring these two things together, right? Because we've got a situation where we can't build each other up in love if we're hating each other. So that's really when I decided that I wanted to bring up this book and what I had heard today. So I'll go ahead and read just an excerpt of this story in John 8. It's verse 7 through 11. I'm going to read this out of the NIV that I have in front of me. So this is John 8. I'm going to read in verse 7 through 11. But before I start reading, a little context. Okay? So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law are really trying to figure out how they're going to catch Jesus, right? Something that they really want to figure out because all these people are listening to Jesus, these people are going to his teachings, and they want to figure out how to catch him and discredit him. And kind of their new plan is we'll make him condemn somebody. And how are we going to do that? We're going to have to know for a fact that this person is breaking the law. Right? We can't bring somebody who may have broken the law right. We need proof. We need to be able to prove it that this person has broken the law. And bring him to Jesus and say, what do we do? What should we do? And so what they do is they find this woman who is described as an adulteress. Right? We don't really know the circumstance. But they find this woman who, for sure, they can prove it. Right? She's an adulteress. So they bring her to Jesus. Jesus is teaching. They bring this woman and they say, well, what do you want us to do? They've all got their stones, right? And they're ready to stone her to death because that's what the law of Moses says to do. They've caught her. She's caught. She's guilty. Caught red-handed. She did it. Guilty. What is Jesus going to do? So, John 8, starting in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, that's Jesus, Jesus straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman who was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think that's incredibly powerful. Jesus does not condemn us. And I've heard this story discussed before and this story is one where it's really easy to get caught in little details of this story. For example, it might say in your Bible, like it does in mine, right before John chapter 8, it's in, it's in parentheses, and it says the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient texts do not have verses John 50, or 7, 53 through 8, 11. A few of the earliest manuscripts do include these verses, wholly or in part. So basically what that means is the oldest versions of John, they didn't have this part in there. 
but it's still included in the Bible, right? Other manuscripts have it. Some of it have parts. They piece it together. And ultimately, it was decided by some of the faith fathers a long time ago to put this section of Scripture in the Bible. Some people really like to focus on that. Well, it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. Some people also really like to focus on this last part that Jesus says. He says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. People really like to focus on that. See, she's not supposed to sin anymore. That's, we can tell other people to sin, not to sin. Don't tell other people to sin. We can tell other people not to sin, right? We can tell people that. But in the book, Drop the Stones, that Carlos Rodriguez writes, he doesn't really focus on any of that at all. He focuses on something completely different. His focus is not to justify the woman. His focus is not to justify the Pharisees and teachers of the law or justify the inclusion of this scripture in the Bible. The overarching point, and what really hit me, was that we are both the Pharisee and the woman. Every single person in this room is both of these characters. There's times when we're judgmental and self-righteous and looking to stone someone else for their sin. There's times when we're the woman, clearly guilty, sin that others can see, right? Ashamed, embarrassed. Ultimately, both parties are guilty. Jesus doesn't go on to condemn the teachers of the law in the scripture. He doesn't flip it on them and get up and start yelling at them about how they're being judgmental and they're being self-righteous. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't take a minute to preach to the woman and condemn her. All he says, okay, if you're without sin, go ahead. That is what the law says. And everyone leaves. And at the end of the story, Jesus condemns no one. I think it's incredibly powerful to see that we are both of these people. I think it humanizes not only our struggle, but also the struggles of others. That ultimately we are all in the same boat, and every single one of us will at times be in both camps. Every person has times when they're acting as the teachers of the law, and everyone has situations where you end up being the woman. We are both, and Jesus condemns none of us. See, the problem with living in condemnation, living to condemn others, living to hate others, justifying that, saying, well, their, their sin is obvious. Another thing that I've heard is, well, those people are glorifying their sin. Sin is sin. <laughs> We've all sinned. We've all fall short. When we choose to live in that place, the first thing is it steals joy from us. It steals your own joy. I think the perfect example of that is social media. Because we just get farther and farther into the hole. The, the purpose of social media is not to connect you. Facebook Live is probably just going to shut down right now. Right? Zuckerberg's watching. He's going to shut this down. <laughs> but the purpose is not to connect us, right? The purpose is to keep you on the platform, right? That's the purpose. And unfortunately, what they've figured out 
is the best way to keep you on the platform is to show you things that you hate. To show you the news. You're only going to look at cute puppies for so long. But a 20-minute video on why the political party you don't affiliate with is the devil, you'll watch that five times and then share it. Right? We're all guilty of doing things like that. Maybe that specific example doesn't apply to you, but something does. And we stay there and we get farther in that and then we're not happy and we're not okay because we don't have, it's, we're letting it steal our joy. It's taking our joy. It's harming us, but it's also harming other people because it's taking away the opportunity for someone to experience the love of Jesus. If I came up to you and said, you ever met that guy, Chris? Love Chris. Great guy. I do anything Chris says. I follow that guy anywhere. And then I say, oh, by the way, Chris hates you. And then the next day, my wife Shannon goes up to this person and says, hey, have you heard of Chris? I love Chris. Chris is the best. Oh, by the way, Chris hates you. And this happens over and over and over again. Are you going to want to meet Chris? I don't. Right? If I hear somebody's family doesn't like me, I don't want to meet their family. If I hear somebody's friend doesn't like me, I'm really not interested in meeting that friend. And I think that's what we're having a lot of trouble understanding. You know, I don't have any exact facts and figures, but I think we've all seen at least something that talks about how people are not going to church, people are leaving church. I know unaffiliated seems to be the quickest growing religious affiliation, is unaffiliated. And we wonder why that is. But then we're saying to people, hey, our God... He really hates you. But then we're wondering why they're not here. I wouldn't be here. And for some reason, I think we're surprised by that. So, what is the alternative, right? What's the alternative? For that, I want to look at a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this will not be on your screen because I just added it this morning. Hey, but it's 1 Corinthians 13. Chris calls this the chapter O love. He does an really cool voice. I didn't do it in as cool of a voice, but it's a chapter all about love. Often you'll hear at least parts of this chapter at weddings. Chris actually read part of this chapter at Shannon and I's wedding. But I want to just focus on the first verse, which usually isn't one of the ones that's most focused on in wedding ceremonies and things like that. But that's what I want to look at right here. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. I'm going to read out of the NIV version. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm going to read that again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
This is something that's actually been on my lock screen at times as a teacher, because sometimes you don't want to speak with love to the children, right? Sometimes they're doing things that you think is the craziest thing you've ever seen. You don't understand why anybody would ever do that, and it's tough to speak in love. So I've had this as a reminder for me before, but I think it applies much larger to our bigger context of this discussion. If you're loud, people will hear the noise, but they're not listening, right? That's a difference. If the fire alarm goes off in here, I'm going to hear it, but I don't want to listen to it. In fact, I'm going to try to get away. Why? Because that sound is abrasive. It's not welcoming. I don't want to be near it. But somehow that's how we try to show others the love of Jesus. If we want to be heard, really heard, we have to show Jesus to people through love. It's what it is. In the moment with the woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees, Jesus displays love. He doesn't condemn anyone. Now, he doesn't glorify anything that anybody did wrong, but he doesn't categorize it. He doesn't rank it. The key also is that we have to drop our agenda, right? I think sometimes, and I was in a Christian ministry group in college, and I've talked about that before, and I really do love it and love them. But sometimes it was like a numbers game, right? It was like, let's put up some numbers. Let's put up some numbers. Let's see how many people we can get in here. Let's see how many, you know, conversions we can get. Keep a little tally right in your head. But if that's the agenda, I I question if we're actually loving those people and going to build a relationship, right? Because you can get some people to say some words, maybe just so you'll leave them alone. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're walking. Hey, have you heard? Yep, yep, love Jesus. Yep, bye. But that's not actually going to have an impact. We have to be willing to... Love people continuously and for real. We can't go home and tell our spouse or our friends, hey, I've, I've been talking to this person um, because they've, they're really rough. They're doing a lot of bad things, and I really want them to know Jesus, but I don't really like them, or you know, I, I really hate what they're doing. I don't really want to spend time with them, but I will until they figure it out, you know, until they become a Christian. And then we don't follow up, right? You have to love and build relationship. Love only happens in the context of relationships. When we look at what the job of Christians is, right? When we look at what our job is. Chris mentioned it last week, build each other up in love. And Chris often mentions a quote. So if you've been here more than probably two weeks at a time, you've heard this quote, but I'm going to tell you it again because I think it's a great reminder. I remembered parts of it, but I, I, did, I need like one more word to be able to Google search it without asking Chris, so I had to text Chris. Hey, what's the thing about the dancing? And he knew right away what I was talking about. This is a quote from Robert Capon. I do believe this will be on your screen. It says this. The real job of Christians, as far as the world is concerned is to simply dance to the hidden music and try, by the joy of their dancing, to wake the world up to the party. 
I'll read it one more time. The real job of Christians, as far as the world is concerned, is to simply dance to the hidden music and try, by the joy of their dancing, to wake the world up to the party. I like that a lot. This doesn't say that we're supposed to hide our faith, right? It says we're supposed to be excited and joyous about our faith, that we're supposed to wake people up to the party. But it's in the joy of our dancing that we have the ability to do that. It's in our joy, it's in our love, it's in our relationships that we have the ability to do that. And that's tough. And some people were probably pretty easy to be joyous with and about. But that group of people you thought about earlier when you thought about who you hated, if we want to wake them up, we're going to have to show them your joy. You're going to have to show them how beautiful being in a relationship with Jesus is. You're going to have to show them how amazing it is to know that we are not condemned. That we're more than our job, we're more than our bank account, we're more than all of those things. But if it doesn't look like that's if it doesn't look like Jesus is making us happy and joyous, why would other people want to do that? And guys, this whole thing I said started with me being convicted about how I have treated and thought about some of the other people in the church, not this church, the bigger church, right? Well, hopefully not this church. Sorry if you think I don't like you. I do. But in the bigger church, right? So this isn't me preaching at you. It's really been me talking to myself because this is something that I've really struggled with. That I've really struggled with. And as someone who has always really bought into grace and love and wanted to be that guy, I was really struggling with how much I wasn't showing it to certain people and around certain people. People who sin and make mistakes, who act self-righteous and hateful, but guess what? Those people are just like me. And they're just like you because we've all acted that way. And we're going to go out of here today and we're not going to be perfect. And there's going to be times where we're going to feel hate and anger towards groups of people. And again, you might have a reason. But I would encourage you to remember how Jesus handled these multiple situations. His arrest, on the cross, when he's presented with the woman caught in adultery. And that we would also remember that Robert Capon quote, about our job, what our job is. Our job is to bring light and to bring joy. And in that is how we're going to be able to reach people, how we're going to be able to show people how amazing it is to be connected with and walking with Jesus. There's a saying, um, it's like the only really southern saying I know, if you don't know, I'm from Wyoming, which is not in the south. But uh, I heard somebody say this. I think it was like my first day. I don't even think I was in a school yet. I think it was like the new teacher training. You know, and this really, this lady with a really great southern accent gets up and she's like, Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Tennessee. With the kids. You know, the kids, they'll do crazy stuff now. But you'll catch more flies with honey. 
It's true. If you haven't heard that saying, the saying is, you'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar. It's true. If we want people to be attracted to us, if we want to grow our churches and grow the community of faith, we've got to show the joy and the freedom we have. It's good news. It's the best news. I'll leave us with this. The best news is that the grace of God is for everyone, especially when we don't deserve it. When you're feeling that hatred, that anger, you're good. You've got the grace of God. God gives you grace in that, so we can give grace to other people. So I hope we will go out and show grace and love to everyone that we meet, that we will show them the joy, that we will invite them to the party that is happening.